The end of a battle, the start of an all-out war. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he's Jeremy Wallace. You can find me at quorumreport.com, and Jeremy's work, of course, is always at expressnews.com in San Antonio and Houston at houstonchronicle.com, and his newsletter is out every day except today. Uh, you can sign up for it uh, on his Twitter page, at Jeremy S. Wallace. I'm still pushing for you to work on Saturdays, and look, I got you here. Got you yeah. here on Saturday, even though you're cool. trying to go to a concert this weekend. I'm not going to push on that sore spot too much, Jeremy, because I think you still might be able to make the show that you want to go to yeah. uh, down in down in New Braunfels. But we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. First off, an historic week, an historic day in the Texas Senate as this impeachment trial comes to a close. Um, I don't think that you or I are shocked at the way it turned out, but we'll get to that. Let's hear the closing arguments. First, the House. Andrew Murr was the lead impeachment prosecutor, the lead House manager on all this. And he tried to make the case to the Senate that Attorney General Ken Paxton is corrupt and needed to be tossed from office. Mr. Paxton put the risk of the citizens of Texas, of the businesses of Texas, and the lives of law enforcement at stake. As the state's top cop, this conduct is and was inexcusable. His actions are precisely the type of grave official wrongs that our Supreme Court has explained merit impeachment. He may claim to be one of us, but unlike the public servants here today, he has no regard for the principles of honor and integrity. House Judiciary Chairman Jeff Leach, who, like Ken Paxton, is a Collin County Republican, somebody who uh, you know, has attended church with Paxton, somebody that he called uh, a former political mentor and an ally. These guys were buddies for a long time, Jeremy. If you asked me 10 years ago if Jeff Leach would be on the opposite side of Ken Paxton as the uh, Republican Party in the House is trying to kick Paxton from office, I would not have believed you. In fact, at one point, you would have said they were, quote, thick as thieves. Do you remember that there was the Dallas Morning News reporting that Jeff Leach was among those Republicans who was trying to defund the prosecution of Ken Paxton at one point, uh, where there were text messages that were reported in the uh, Morning News uh, where Leach and others were encouraging the Collin County Commissioner's Court to just not pay the special prosecutors? Well, Leach at some point, like a lot of Republicans, came to the conclusion that Paxton is corrupt and he should go. And the emotion of that, you know, the emotion of in a way, having to take a stand against somebody who's been his good friend, it really got to him. And you could hear that in his commentary. In voting to impeach General Ken Paxton, my dear friend, a political mentor, a brother in Christ, and a once trusted advisor, this has not just been a hard vote. This has been one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do in my life. And there comes a time for each of us. There will come a time for you. I believe this is it. Not to ask yourself what is safe or popular or politic, but what is right. That was not the argument that the Senate agreed with. As you saw today, Jeremy, earlier, uh, and by the way, we uh, scheduled this podcast perfectly if I do say so myself. Just within the last few hours, the Senate voted uh, to acquit on all the charges that they heard. 
I'm going to add this context that's important. The charges that the House sent to the Senate that have to do with securities fraud violations, the, the charges that Paxton has essentially admitted to the underlying behavior because of the civil case on that, um, those were not heard by the Senate, and those were dismissed by the Senate today after they dealt with the other charges. Um, the Senate said, no, we're not removing him. He's not going anywhere. He's going back to the AG's office. And I want to stress this. It's interesting that because of the rules of the way that the Senate set this up, um, they never even had to explain the fact that they just dismissed those securities fraud uh, violations that were alleged in those charges. They just dismissed that without ever even talking about it, right? When, when, they, when they set up the rules originally, they said that those charges would be held, quote, in abeyance, close quote. And there was a lot of talk within the capital community about what that meant. Does that mean that those could still be dealt with later after a criminal trial in Houston? It turns out, no, they just dismissed them today without ever even really talking about it. So that's, that's important to know. So who did they side with? Well, they went with the defense team led by Tony Busby, Houston city council hopeful. And here's the argument that the Senate agreed with. They heard all of this testimony about alleged corruption, abuse of office, taking bribes and all that. And they said, no, 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 here's the guy who's right. And I think this is why we're talking about all-out war now within the Republican Party. The Senate agreed with Busby, representing Paxton, who said the real reason for all this is that the speaker is a dangerous drunk. Dade feeling got his feelings hurt. He was so drunk, so drunk handling the house business, knowing full well that they had no evidence to support an impeachment and they hadn't done their homework. When Ken Paxton says, hey man, you embarrassed the devil out of yourself. You should resign. They sped up the process and impeached this man. Now, Busby argued that anybody could be framed by law enforcement and if Paxton was convicted, then that should just send a chill down everybody's spine. You have a guy six foot six, wears a hat cloaked with the authority of the state, comes in here and says to these folks, uh, I heard from five or six people that Drew Wicker delivered a secret package in the dark of night in an alleyway on behalf of Nate Paul. Totally false. When he was asked, who told you that, Ranger? I can't even give you one name who told me that. Totally false. I asked the young man directly, did you ever deliver anything at night? Did you ever deliver anything that had anything to do with public records? No. Never. Didn't happen. Look at the position you, these people, have put this man in and his wife. Prove your innocence, Attorney General. You've been convicted in the press. Prove your innocence now. If it can happen to him, it can happen to anyone. Well, something exactly like this can't happen to anyone. I would point out that uh, impeachment can only happen to an elected official. Um, but here's to the heart of the politics. And Jeremy, I know you have a lot to say about this. The Paxton defense team, led by Busby, said that what this is really about 
is, and this is the way they've tried to frame it up throughout the uh, conversation, uh, you know, around the trial and within the trial itself. They've tried to say that this was some sort of a grand conspiracy by the old guard of the Republican Party, the, the speaker, Texans for Lawsuit Reform, which of course is an influential business group here in Texas, Karl Rove, um, and the Bush family, the Bush family specifically. Um, here's what Busby said about this trial being the end of the Bush dynasty forever in the state of Texas. Let it be known, let it be clear now, the Bush era in Texas ends today. We thought it had ended in the primary when Ken Paxton beat George P. Bush 68 to 32. Well, we thought it was over. It wasn't. Well, now we have an impeachment. It ends today. Your thoughts, Mr. Wallace. Oh, boy, there's so much to unpack there, right? A ton. You know, yeah, here we it's go. Like, okay, look, I, I get the politics. You know, mm-hmm. you know the, when you say Bush, a lot of people are thinking about Jeb Bush running against Donald Trump. So it's a smart political play on one front from Busby, right? So you're mm-hmm. saying, look, you know, Jeb and his cronies – uh, are in the middle of this thing, and doesn't that bug you? You know, George P. Yeah. Bush is the son of Jeb Bush, uh, and like he ends up like yeah, I heard that comment where he said they can go back to Maine. Okay, let me just mm-hmm. clarify: they're not from Maine. <laughs> they do have Cunny Bunkport there, but they're from Connecticut. Uh, George right. W. Bush was born in Connecticut. George P. Bush was born in Houston and uh, Jeb out in Midland. So it's like mm-hmm. they, they, they can't really go back to Maine. Um, but well, right, but these are people with deep roots in Texas. So, and if you try to say that these are only you know East Coast elites or something, yeah. that's not and right. And that's what Busby was trying to do. But like I, I, for the people who haven't been following along, it's like it is not uh, hyperbole, I don't think, to say the Bush family is central to Texas turning red. In uh, mm-hmm. the 19... 19- you know, 60s, this place was solidly Democratic. And there was one guy, George H.W. Bush, who ends up becoming the Harris County Republican Party chairman uh, and leads, Mm -hmm. you know, an effort that started really small uh, to to turn Texas in a red. He ended up running in a U.S. Senate race that he was, you know, destined to lose, but he made it competitive. Then he won a congressional seat in 66. He was one of two Republicans representing Texas in the entire United States Congress. Like, mm-hmm. imagine, like, just, you're just, too, your voice is so small, but yet there he was, he was effective enough, you know, it's like, and, and this guy really kind of should get some credit for building this up. And so when yeah. Busby's saying that, it's like, I, you know, I kept thinking, is he's trying to make this, like, uh, a referendum on the whole Bush family? Because yeah. there are people in that room who worked on George H.W. Bush's campaigns and George W. Bush's campaigns and have had fine interactions with everybody in that family. And so he was really kind of putting some interesting pressure on them. Again, I understand the politics of saying Mm -hmm. anybody who is against Trump, you know, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, Jeb Bush, thus his son is somehow an enemy of the state. I get that. But in this case, man, you're from Houston uh, where George H.W. Bush kind of led the Republican Party. And I just couldn't help but think that some people are like, okay, a little bit too much there, Tony. Like, back that up a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. go after George P., but 
why are we going after W and HW and Jeb and the whole crew? I don't yeah. understand that. Well, think of it this way. Does any other state have two presidential libraries in it that have the same name? Yeah, the, 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 to me, the, the Bush, right. There's the Bush Library in Dallas and the Bush Library in College Station. Right. And to your point about Busby, he's running for city council in the part of Houston where the Bush family and the Bush uh, kind of Republican comes from. Right. The, the River Oaks area over to West Houston. That is and has been described as the cradle of the establishment Republican Party, not just in Texas, but in the United States. Yep. Right. And so here you have somebody completely running against that, completely arguing against that. Um, and look, hey, maybe maybe he's right in this respect. Maybe that kind of Republican is just never going to be in charge again. Maybe everyone has to act like they're Trump and be on Team Trump and therefore be against the Bushes. I think if anything is historic about this trial, that's part of it is that you have these folks who uh, look at think of the think of it this way. Would that Senate or the Texas House be Republican if it weren't for the Bushes and the the work that you're talking about? It, yeah, it's it, a huge question. I mean, in, in the in the in the course of history, those people had so much to do with building the party in this state. And the people who are in office now as Republicans have never had to do that, right, for the most part. Not Governor Abbott, not Lieutenant Governor Patrick. They sort of inherited the Republican Party that the Bushes and people like them left for them. Yep. Um, and now what you see instead of party building is the Republicans in the state tearing each other down. Yeah, and, I, and I'm okay with you disagreeing with things that the Bushes did. I'm okay with that. Of you, can, you can kind of raise that question, but I think there's got to be a level of respect for forefathers type thing right you know it's like you know and, uh, and i will make this case that like if not for george hw bush and everything he did in the 1960s how much longer might it have been for ronald reagan to win this state and flip it solidly red from the time he got elected on at least in presidential races as like george hw bush you know set that up you know jimmy mm -hmm. carter was winning the state of texas the in 76 it's like it wasn't until, you know, you know, Bush and crew, like they kept chipping away, kept chipping away, and they had a big role in it. So, and again, again I think there's a way to do that with being a little bit more respectful. Go after George yeah. P. Go after George P. Take, on, take him to the woodshed. Do what you want right. to. But kind of like still be respectful for the people who kind of had come before. I don't know. Well, I so, think it's a thin yeah. line, but uh, but certainly I well, think. Well, there's no um, – look, I'm with you on that. I, I think that, um, you know, as far as being respectful uh, as, as those, you know, as those who are in the Republican Party seek to criticize maybe some that they don't agree with, including the Bushes or the folks that they would think are, you know, or they would, they would call these people the establishment. Um, yes, I would say be more respectful, but there is none of that. This is the era of Trump. There, sure. there is none of that. They are done with that. Everything is about burning your opponents to the ground. Um, whether you are talking about a Democrat or you're talking about a Republican you don't agree with, then you burn them to the ground. You're completely disrespectful. You just heard that guy mocking an FBI agent. Yeah. Good point. You just heard him mocking the voice of law enforcement in his closing argument. And that's who the Senate went with. There's no respect paid to to any of these folks. And and if you think about the kind of conspiracy theory that the Texas Senate just signed off on, let's, I'm going to be honest about this. They just signed off on a conspiracy theory that somehow Texans for lawsuit reform was in league with the Speaker of the House and George P. Bush, so right to what you're talking about with the Bushes, the Texans for lawsuit reform didn't even support Bush in the primary. 
they supported somebody else. If you were putting this, they supported Eva Guzman. If you were putting this up on the court board for conspiracies and you were putting the pictures up and you had the head of TLR was one of the pictures. You got Dick Weekly and Dick Trabolsi and all that crew. You've got them on one picture. That's TLR. You've got uh, George P. Bush as another picture. You've got Speaker Dade Phelan as another picture. Whatever other Republicans you want to say were in on this conspiracy, a different picture. And you were putting yarn in between those things. When you got to TLR and George P. Bush, you'd have to cut the yarn because TLR didn't support him, right? And this whole idea that, oh, George P. Bush was renewing his law license at a certain time, all of this was just this fever dream conspiracy theory that a majority of Texas Senate Republicans said, yeah, actually, that's a pretty good defense. In fact, only two of the Republican senators voted to convict Paxton after so much evidence was presented. And I see all these people... All the blue check marks on Twitter are telling me there's no evidence of anything. Sworn testimony is evidence unless it's somehow refuted. And if you look at the defense, and you know it's still evidence, but it might be in dispute. If you look at the defense from Paxton's side, it was to put people who work in the AG's office on the stand and essentially say that because he's the boss, he can do whatever he wants. I listened to all of that testimony. He can do whatever he wants. I'll give you an example. One of the people who testified is the human resources, uh, you know, top guy, the human resources director at the OAG, Office of the Attorney General. That guy is now the head of HR there because the previous person in that position would not sign off on the way they were getting rid of whistleblowers in the office. He got promoted to that position after that last guy was also shown the door. Um, and so for... The Paxton side, the real argument seems to come down to this. And, and this is a question for people to think about, you know, as what we want to see in society. Is it the case that if you win high office in this state or anywhere else, and believe me, as you know, as the great state of Texas, we set the standard for a lot of other places. A lot of other places follow our lead. What is it they say at UT? What started what starts here changes the world? They mean that in a positive way. But but here, but listen to this. <laughs> I think the question is, do you believe that once you win high office, then you are entitled to do anything that you want? It's previously, and let's not even make a judgment right here. I'm just going to say this. That's different from the way we've always viewed it before. The, the previous view has always been, whether let's say you're running for the highest office that you're running for president. That person goes into a hermetically sealed envelope. They don't even, they're not even allowed to, to carry car keys around. Right? They, they give up all kinds of things to be in the highest office in the land. They have a security detail. The president has that. The AG of Texas has that. The allegations here, which are credible, are that he would ditch his security detail all the time to go see his mistress. Um, you have all these people who have argued, and you see it online. I, I wish I was making this up. Most of the arguments that I see from people online throughout the trial and leading up to the trial have been, from Paxton supporters, they say, we don't care if he did all that. We voted for him. So he's the duly elected attorney general. It doesn't matter if he did any of those things. It doesn't matter if we found out about it after we voted for him. And it's I'm sorry to say it's the same kind of thing I hear from the supporters of President Trump. They'll say, and this is a version of something that's been in politics before, where they would say, yeah, he's a, what, he's a bastard, but he's our bastard. He's an SOB, but he's our SOB, right? Now, this, yeah, he's, he's a crook, but he's our crook. He's, he's, you know, he might be corrupt, but he's, he's the one that we like. We don't care if he did any of that. And it's always been, look, it, think of it this way. How many Republican politicians either bowed out and 
didn't run for re-election or, you know, how many potential candidates never ran at all because they thought that some extramarital affair was going to come out or something that, you know, something that might embarrass them that would be way less than any of the stuff we're talking about with Paxton. That, oh, some of this stuff might come out. I can't run for office. Well, I mean, I think all of you folks who ever worried about that should just go ahead and run because none of that matters anymore. But, you know, Trump's paying off porn stars. Paxton's getting away with having a mistress. We're, we're going to get to Dan Patrick in just a little bit in the way that I believe he did put his thumb on the scale in a lot of ways. Um, but think about the fact that the mistress didn't have to take the stand. It was our understanding she was maybe going to plead the fifth. Well, why would she have to plead the fifth? It, having an affair is not a crime, right? Um, there is that federal grand jury down in San Antonio. Paxton did not have to take the stand, thanks to a ruling from Lieutenant Governor Patrick. Um, if you exclude all the things that are pretty just, you know, pretty brazen on their face, then yeah, Paxton walks. The, you know, the, the securities fraud stuff that they didn't consider. The extramarital affair, which they didn't really consider because they didn't hear from the mistress. If you get rid of all this other stuff that would have been terrible for him, of course he walks. How is well, that a fair trial? Well, the, the, uh, okay, to, to me, there's three problems from the very start from for all of this impeachment process. Uh, there's a governmental, a judicial, and a political problem that were all here. And the House, I, I think they just failed on this front. And this is what I mean. So on the governmental standpoint, they did a lot about talking about, you know, the cabinets and the mistress and all that kind of stuff. But what they didn't do is bring it back to how that uh, – uh, made it a negative for the actual duties of the attorney general in doing the things that it's supposed to be doing for the public in terms of like the consumer regulations it's supposed to be looking out for health and you know, uh, and health regulations it's supposed to be it's supposed to be fighting for us uh, you know think about uh, you know if there was somehow some way from them to make the case that everything Paxton did here meant that all of a sudden you know uh, we weren't getting uh, you know, uh, child support payments you know taken care of uh there were banks who were misusing you know uh or abusing the the seniors or the elderly or something if they could they never brought it back home to a governmental thing that mattered i think outside the capital sphere right they didn't bring all these pieces together and like you know i was <laughs> i was listening to, to the new willie nelson you know album surprise surprise mm -hmm. the bluegrass mm -hmm. album that he just put out which i'm oh, still yeah, kind of getting used mm -hmm. to but uh but he has a line in you know the second song on the on the disc about uh somebody pick up my pieces i'm scattered everywhere and and i thought about like the house's case they had so much they put out there uh but they were never able to say like bring it all together into the and this is how it abused like the office and prevented the office from doing the stuff it needs to get done. So there's the governmental piece. I don't think they made that case that, you know, Paxton doing all this other stuff meant he let a bunch of deadbeat, you know, parents out there not pay their child support or something. They never brought it to like, how did we as a government, you know, lose out? Okay. That's the governmental part. The judicial part is, you know, that those people pleading the fifth, right? And we know that there's an ongoing legal proceeding already out there against Ken Paxton. We know that's all out there. And they kind of almost got ahead of it and maybe kind of interfered with it in a little bit. I'm not sure why they couldn't wait a little bit longer to see where some of that stuff goes. So like we've already mm -hmm. been waiting for eight years or however many like, years it's been now. It's like I'm not I just feel like, you know, if the Justice Department or the FBI is doing something with everything that's been given to them, let them do it and then go for the impeachment. 
And then finally, the political element on this thing, the you know, the third prong in this thing is like, like uh, this. How do you not see this as an extension as you know Dade Feelin's fight with Dan Patrick from mm-hmm. way back? You know they they hadn't talked hardly at all this whole year, and yeah. here. Dade Phelan is essentially asking Dan Patrick to hand him his biggest victory yet politically and in the process give Greg Abbott huge power to pick the next attorney general who will then be on a glide path to maybe becoming the next governor. What does Dan Patrick get out of any of this stuff politically? It's like if you go back to the 1917 impeachment which, of course, mm-hmm. everybody does. <laughs> if you go yeah, back to the 1917 uh, impeachment, the reason that worked so well and why the Senate went all on it is because the guy you know that was getting abused by the governor at the time who would end up being impeached had been the former Senate president, you know, the mm-hmm. lieutenant governor of the time. And so they had all worked with him, and they all were offended by what was happening. What, you know, Dade Phelan and crew, if they really wanted to get this thing through, they had to somehow make the case that Ken Paxton had done something to the Texas Senate and to them politically, too. Not just like, uh, again, I think it just had to be more concrete politically to go after him, like in a little bit better coordination with the Senate. So they didn't have the governmental argument to make about you know, why the consumer uh, protections fell apart because of what Paxton did. They didn't have that. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the judicial piece, which is we're still waiting for the judicial system to kind of get through uh, the securities frauds and everything Mm -hmm. else. And he didn't have the political piece, which is some sort of buy-in from the Texas Senate. You have to have something from the Texas Senate. You can't just throw it over there and then dare them not to do it because there's nothing politically in their best interest to do that. What is the political? Like, I know it's supposed no, to be a judicial yep. process. I get mm-hmm. it. It's supposed to be a judicial whatever process. But shocker, like you know, that old Casablanca movie, it's like, what? There's, there's politics going on here? Yeah, there's gambling oh in this establishment. I don't, How can I don't there be? Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I, I do think that your analysis points to the fact that, and this is just hard, it's hard, cold, <laughs> hard, cold facts. How about, um, let, let's call it raw politics about this is that the politics matter yes. so much more than the facts. Yes. It, I mean, here, here's what you're watching. As, as you see the Texas Senate vote on this today, it sent a signal, and I can tell you this in conversations uh, that uh, I've had uh, over the last couple of hours with people who work at the Capitol or work in state government, that there's a real chilling effect. What those senators are saying with their votes is to their staff, to anybody who works in government, who might witness government abuse, who might witness corruption, that you better not tell anybody because no one is going to have your back. That the that the people they put on the stand, Drew Wicker, Jeff Mateer, and those others who were conservative in their politics, saw something that they thought was corrupt and that they should tell law enforcement about. The votes today say to anybody in that situation, you should not say a word about it because no one is going to have, if, even if this goes to the highest level of an impeachment, it's no one's going to have your back. That basically, if you've got the money, if you've got the cash, if you've got the right political support, that as an office holder, you cannot be taken down with accusations of corruption. Uh, because as I said, the, the defense in the case had nothing to do with refuting what had been said and only had to do with saying this, he's the elected guy. So he gets to do whatever he wants. Now, 
to your point about Phelan and Patrick not getting along. They could not come together about something that they agreed they should do earlier this year, which was taxes, right? I mean, it took seven months for them to get through the property tax legislation. And that's with Governor Abbott, Speaker Phelan, and Patrick all saying a version of this, that we need to do this. They had all promised people they were going to do property tax legislation. It took them forever. They couldn't get it done during the regular session. Governor Abbott didn't really step into the special sessions. Phelan and Patrick stayed at each other's throats. Yeah, that's um, a that's dur- a big point a lot right it. there. It's like let's remember that it wasn't you know pleasant. They were going after each other, and there was one right. point we reported that Dan Patrick was complaining to other senators he couldn't get Dade Phelan to even meet with him. You know, it's like he'd been totally iced by the, you know Dade Phelan, and again, mm-hmm. and and, it, and you kind of wondered like what is behind all this. So there was a, it was it got ugly, and it's like and to think that all of that is gone. Because we're in this judicial process. Mm-hmm. Like, no, it's not gone. That's all right. in his and, head. That's all and, in and, the senator's head. The entire right. Senate was mad at Dade Phelan. And right. like, and the House was presenting them something to say, hey, we want you to side with Dade Phelan on this thing over Ken Paxton. It's like, well, make the point why. It's like, been, and I, they just didn't make the final point politically to these guys yeah. that this, you know, Ken Paxton did something that you should put your neck out on. Because we mm-hmm. all know, however you vote on this thing, you're going to pay for it. The Republicans who did vote, you know, to impeach, they're going to take heat. We know mm-hmm. it. And you're asking, you know, some of these guys to you know, like, hey, do you want to potentially lose your career in office over this? And the political answer is no. <laughs> they shrug their shoulders. Of course they not. They shrug their shoulders at it. Right. They shrug their shoulders at it because it, it, to them, um, honestly, doing the right thing has more up. <laughs> doing the right thing has more downside risk in this political environment. So you saw Patrick give an angry speech once all this was over with. He said, look, hey, for the last three months, I've been pretty quiet, which is, as you know, and the listeners know, is not the norm. Now, he hasn't been quiet about other things. Of course, he's been railing about the border on Fox News Channel and whatever else. But as far as the impeachment, he's tried to say nothing about it. He's tried to present himself as somebody who was an impartial judge. Jeremy, I would say it's interesting that... In his remarks this afternoon, which we're supposed to believe, we we are supposed to believe that he wrote that giant speech in between the last votes and the few minutes later when he gave the speech. Okay, he was he was he was trying to present himself as an impartial, you know, judge in this whole thing, and he says, you know, I've done my. But then he goes on to explain exactly why this was all dead on arrival in the chamber that he runs. Good point, <laughs> right? <laughs> so pa- Patrick's voice was kind of shaking as he was talking uh, and laying it out there about why he, you know, why he thinks that the impeachment as as carried out by the House was handled all wrong. In the House, the vote to send the articles of impeachment against the attorney general to the Senate happened in only a few days, with virtually no time for 150 members to even study the articles. The speaker and his team rammed through the first impeachment of a statewide official in Texas in over 100 years while paying no attention to the precedent that the House set in every other impeachment before. Patrick pointed to the arguments from Representative John Smithy, a Republican from Amarillo, who spoke against the impeachment on the day that the House was voting about that. Representative Smithy told his fellow members the House process was indefensible. Representative Smithy said the House did not follow the rules of evidence and their case was based on triple hearsay that would never be allowed in court. I think Representative Smithy's speech was one of the most honest and courageous speeches I've ever heard of in the House. 
And if you want to watch it online, go to YouTube. Look up John Smithy, that's S-M-I-T-H-E-E, his floor speech on the Paxton impeachment. It's an amazing, courageous speech to give. That, to me, sounds like an endorsement for a speaker candidate, uh, that maybe Patrick would like John Smithy to run for speaker or someone else. Now, he's going to say, if, if he hears me say any of this, and he's been angry at me more than once this year. <laughs> if he says anything about it, he'll say, no, 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 I did not endorse anybody whatsoever. It was interesting, though, that he spelled out the guy's name and said, you can go look for his speech on YouTube. I, I, Jeremy, I actually went to YouTube to check it out and see if maybe Patrick himself had posted the speech, but no, it it is there, but not but not posted by Patrick, just so you know. Now, I saw a statement from the speaker a little bit after that that you saw as well, Jeremy. Yes. And I, I checked with a few people this afternoon, the people who have been uh, in and around the Texas Capitol for decades, and I asked this question. Have you ever seen the speaker and the lieutenant governor as at each other's throats as today? And everyone said, oh, hell no. Nothing like this. So you just heard Patrick blasting the speaker. On social media, I described it as a rare flash of anger from Dade Phelan. I don't think that's unfair at all. I, I'm trying to remember any time he was really angry, in public anyway. I mean, yeah, he would get irritated with some House members on the floor, but that's one thing. But the statement from him about what Patrick had just said is angry. Here, here's, a, here's a key quote. Speaker Phelan said, To be clear, Patrick attacked the House for standing up against corruption. His tirade disrespects the constitutional impeachment process afforded to us by the Texas Constitution. And he went on to say that, that I mean, this is, I, I, I would say a version of this. It's amazing to me to hear the speaker say it, right? Because he's usually more low key than this. He said, quote, the inescapable, excuse me, the inescapable conclusion is that today's outcome appears to have been orchestrated from the start, cheating the people of Texas of justice. He's just saying that Patrick is biased and that they didn't really hear the impeachment uh, articles in a fair way in the Senate. And now you have to wonder what this means for their relationship going forward. I mean, you just described, Jeremy, how bad it was before. Now what happens? Yeah, who would have thought Joe Strauss and Dan Patrick got along better, right? But now I think we can unequivocally say that relationship was better than this, and that one was trash. <laughs> Let's just be honest about it. But but yeah, it's like, you know, and I think Dade Phelan has one part kind of correct because Patrick himself basically says, I've been stewing about this since May. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, I'm assuming right. he shared that with other senators when he saw the Smithy speech for the first time. He probably had, you know, a Bettencourt or a Schwartner or somebody like that around him when he was saying all, they all knew where he felt on this whole process. So it's clear. I, I think there is some accuracy in that, you know, maybe it was always going to be an even harder lift because of where Patrick was on all this stuff. Uh, and yeah, and going forward, here's the thing. These guys are tied together for like yeah. time to come, you know, mm -hmm. unless one of them is going to beat the other one somehow, it's like in some way, shape or form, knock them out of their, their positions. Mm -hmm. Like this is what Texas government's going to be. You have these two guys who don't like each other. Uh, and you know, it's funny to kind of watching Greg Abbott kind of preside over this in some kind of weird way, but look where Greg yeah. Abbott was. Greg Abbott got the heck out of town. 
It's like this thing got sent over to the jury and he was like, I got to go to El Paso. I'll see y'all later. (laughs) All he wants to do is talk about the border. We'll get to that in just a second. I'll be over here talking about jobs and stuff like this and not saying a word about Ken Paxton or this trial. Y'all just get him and tear the heck out of each other uh, and I'll see you on the other side. But the thing is, where is the other side? So it's like, Mm -hmm. so now is the move that Dan Patrick and opponents of Dade Phelan try to take him out? You know, they've tried that before. It didn't Mm -hmm. work. Right? right. You know, it's like, or it's like, otherwise, what, what are we dealing with here for the next, you know, two to four years of our lives? It's yeah, like, at is least this just going to be a blood sport? Right. Um, at least until the next session, uh, if the opponents of Phelan can take him out, like you said, which is a tall order. Uh, when when Tom Craddock was challenged for the speakership uh, beginning in 07, they couldn't get it done until 09. I mean, it, it, dislodging a speaker from power is very difficult. So the yeah. folks who are upset with Phelan uh, need to understand that. Um, and of course, Patrick has a four year term. So he's there, you know, unless he retires, which there has been some chatter about that, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. We'll see. Um, but here, here's, I think, here's, I think, what's so significant about it, Jeremy. We've seen the speaker and the lieutenant governor disagree on policy. That was the deal with the uh, property tax issue. They, they both said that they wanted to do property tax uh, relief and reform, but they had different ideas about how to do it. This is, in not so many words, the speaker and the lieutenant governor essentially calling each other liars. Yeah. Right? That they're, yep. that they're both of them are, Patrick is saying that Phelan did this in a, basically in a dishonest and rushed way. And here you have Phelan saying that Patrick is biased and rigged it all from the start as far as the Paxton situation. And so what does that mean for issues going forward? This happens only a few weeks before Governor Abbott is expected to ask those two guys to work together on an issue that the House and Senate have never seen eye to eye about. I mean, they they were in the same ballpark when it came to uh, property taxes, but on, quote, school choice. School vouchers, I, I mean, maybe if even if that uh, was DOA before, maybe it's extra DOA now. Yeah, it feels uh, like why, and, yeah, why even bother having a special session at this point? It, like they, if, if I'm Abbott's yeah. crew, I'm like, oh boy, if I want these guys to just literally burn down the building, I should call a special session because right. like, you know, it's like it doesn't, I don't see how they're going to get anything done for a while. It's like, it feels like, we have just now crossed, like, there's so much tension right now, not just between those two guys. Remember, there's Paxton involved. His wife's a state senator. It's like everybody's supposed to be kind of trying to work with one another. And now, like, mm-hmm. Abbott's going to need Paxton to keep, you know, fighting for, you know, all these different lawsuits that are out there, like the Bowie lawsuit uh, down in the river. It's like, and so, like, everybody's kind of got to somehow look like they're working together when they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, this is we haven't even gotten the fact that you know, Sid Miller doesn't talk to any of these guys over at the Ag Commission. Right. You know? yeah. it's well, like, he says like, he's going on a rhino hunt, and you know you're going to see um, Paxton on the air with Tucker Carlson yep. next week. He announced that he's going there to talk about the. He said he's going to talk about the last couple of weeks in Texas politics. Paxton said the interview should be very interesting. You have Steve Bannon, as we've mentioned here, said that he's going to go against, you know, he's going to go against all these Republicans who are, quote, rhinos in Texas. Um, And you're going to see a speaker's operation that I think is well equipped, as you mentioned, to take on challengers. Right. Um, I wonder how many Republicans in the House now have any doubts about how much support they'll get from the speaker. One of the things that I think the speaker is trying to accomplish with that statement is to say, for all of you who voted for impeachment, I've got your back 100 percent. The, the speaker saying he has not moved one inch about this Paxton thing. 
And so if these Republicans think that they're going to face stiff challenges in their primaries, they also need to believe that the speaker's going to have their back. He's going to have plenty of money to back them up. I still don't believe, and we'll move on to the border in just a second, For but I'm mentioning the border for a reason. I still don't believe that the Paxton vote in and of itself is going to get any of the Republicans who voted for it. Um, that's not what's going to get them beat. It's other things. Yeah. It's 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 accusations of being soft on border security. It's accusations of not being uh, pro-life enough. It's accusations of not being pro-God, pro-gun, pro-family enough, and all that sort of stuff. That's what gets you beat in a Republican primary, right? It's the immigration and border stuff. But but what this what this tells you, what this battle tells you, is where the money is going to flow. Those groups that support Paxton and support the Patrick position, they'll spend money against Republicans in their primaries in the state house. And the speaker will have to back up his guys in the state house, uh, you know, and and he will also have the support of a lot of business groups and others that are trying to support those pro-business Republicans in the House uh, who, you know, at, at certain times have been at odds with these folks who only care about, you know, the culture war issues, all the social issues that that Paxton and Patrick in particular, along with Governor Abbott, a lot of times that that wing of the party is more interested in those sort of things. And the pro-business guys really have to get, um, you know, fired up about supporting their Republicans because I do think, and I've told Republicans this for years, you cannot appease these people who are, you know, in the Trump wing of the party. You have to beat them, right? If you can't, there's nothing you can do to where they would be happy with you. If you're not with them 110%, it ain't going to happen. If you're with them 95% of the time, it's whatever that 5% was that they're going to try to beat you about in your primary. So you can't appease them. You just have to beat them in elections. Yeah. And, and the timing is just beautiful right now. We are two months out for the start of qualifying period for people to start trying to file to get into those primaries. Again, that primary comes on us fast. It's March 3rd. So you don't have much you know, time to build your your case against an incumbent Republican right now, if you are going to jump in and try to take one of these people out, you've got to do a lot of work. And so whoever wants to get into that thing, man, it's a small window, but we're going to learn a lot over these next two months as all these, you know, the boo birds <laughs> against, you know, these people in the house, like, do they have some muscle? Do they really have money to kind of go into a place like, you know, Beaumont, Texas and take out the sitting speaker of the house? You know, mm. it, it, does that, is that even possible? It would both Beaumont be okay with losing the the most powerful person they've had in the Texas legislature in at least 20 years, right? You know, this, you know, Bo, you know, Dade Phelan has an ability to influence politics in Southeast Texas, like nobody mm -hmm. else right now. And it's like, do they want to give that up for somebody else? No matter what your disagreements are, there becomes a parochialism in the state where it's just yeah. like, look, you know, particularly in places like Beaumont and El Paso and Amarillo, who feel like they're often forgotten by the I-35, I-10 crew, although they're both on I-10, but you get my point. It's like, they say, yes. hey, don't don't worry about us. You know, it's like, you know, now they have somebody, they're not going to get rid of Dade Phelan because of this vote. Like you were saying, it's not going to be over Ken Paxton. Let's be honest about this. Outside the Austin, you know, bubble, there's not a lot of people walking around the fifth ward in Houston right now going, man, can you believe how Ken Paxton get off? Probably right. not happening today. Uh, not a lot of people knew this was going on despite all of our wonderful coverage. It just hasn't hit that mass, you know, where, where everybody's talking about it on the streets and thus it can get you to get, you know, be defeated. So the timing is perfect. Uh, of course, as we now know from the trial, 
there are no coincidences in Austin, right? Is that what the phrase was? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that they, they made up on the fly? <laughs> yeah. So it's going to end up on Yeti cups and T-shirts, I'm sure. So, <laughs> yes. um, so, so, so we'll continue to follow that, of course. Uh, the, the issue that Republicans do have broad agreement on, of course, that I mentioned, is the border. And this is where you go back to uh, Republicans versus Democrats. Um, I saw, and you pointed this out, Jeremy, to me, um, that uh, Greg Abbott was beaten up on the Castro brothers. I said, what's that about? Why, why is he mad at them? What, what in the world? Um, well, he was on Fox News Channel. Was this the, uh, the uh, what is it, Jesse Waters show? Yeah, he's the replacement for Tucker Carlson. I'm sure he loves oh. being called the replacement of Tucker Carlson. <laughs> and Abbott, not on with Tucker Carlson. Dan Patrick, not on with Tucker Carlson. Um, but he gets the Jesse Waters treatment. So on Fox News Channel, Jesse Waters played these comments from well, this was from a while back, right? Was this a year ten, ago at least? Yeah, ten at least ago. ten years ago. Actually, okay. almost eleven years ago. So everybody, oh, so everybody, they, take your 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 flux capacitor, crank it up, and go back to eleven years ago and try to remember where you were and put your your mind into this clip. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I want to say this, um, and I have a reason for saying it, is is that on Fox News Channel or any of these other um, places where any of these other outlets where they just traffic and being angry all the time, they'll go back 10 years ago to try to unearth something for you to be mad about. Right. I mean, they probably could have found somebody talking about the border yesterday or last week, <laughs> but instead we have to bitch about the Castro's from this comment from 10 years ago. In a couple of presidential cycles, you'll be on election night. You'll be announcing that we're calling the 38 electoral votes of Texas for the Democratic nominee for president. It's changing. It's going to become a purple state and then a blue state because of the demographics, because of the population growth of folks from outside of Texas. Oh, I see. It's because they want to say that they were wrong 10 years ago and that Texas is not a Democratic state now and it's still a Republican state. Okay, I get it. You know, it's... If, if, if I got to do my job that way, it would be really easy. I could go back and find all kinds of comments that people have made to me that were so wrong. <laughs> and, and if I go back from 10 to 15 years ago and say, you remember how you said that 15 years ago, yep. <laughs> that one time, um, you're an idiot. And just hold it in front of the, hold it over their head. You're so stupid because you said that 10 years ago. <sighs> this is why you don't make predictions in politics. So, so Governor Abbott pointed to his electoral success along with other Republicans in Texas, as they have gotten tougher on border security. Today, Jesse, uh, there are more Hispanics in Texas than there are Anglos. And yet, I beat Beto by double digits, despite the fact that he raised about $150 million. The Hispanics in Texas, they don't agree with this leftist woke agenda and progressive ideas pushed by people like the Castros, they firmly reject that. In fact, Hispanics in Texas do not like Biden's open border policies. Texas will continue to get even more red because of the reckless liberal progressive policies pushed by people like the Castros, like Beto and like Joe Biden. Jeremy, what did you think when you heard Abbott saying all that? Well, it's funny. It's like, you know, so what, what caught me about the show is like, again, that was a lot of 
mostly Julian Castro in the clip, uh, like, and just talking about the Castro. I'm thinking to myself, why is this coming up now? What is going on here? Why is why does Greg Abbott have the Castros in his head right now? It's like, oh, it's because of Joaquin Castro, the congressman from San Antonio. If you've been following a lot of the coverage about the border in Operation Lone Star, uh, at least from the Houston Chronicle and San Antonio Express News, you know, it's Joaquin Castro who's kind of taken the lead uh, for Democrats and saying. What Abbott's doing at the border is cruel. He's the one who brought a delegation from Congress to the border in Eagle Pass. He's the one who has, you know, accused the uh, the, the the Abbott administration of separating families at the border. Uh, he's the one who's saying that they're killing, you know, children and you know, leading to the drowning. It's Castro who's been much more vocal and aggressive. And so, why is Greg Abbott, you know, talking about you know the Castros when he really means Joaquin Castro? Why is he doing that? Because Joaquin Castro has been starting to throw some punches at him and maybe connecting some. Uh, you know, one of the things that Joaquin Castro, because he's grown in such, uh, I guess, um, his power in Congress has been growing. And I think his pressure on the Biden administration and mm -hmm. on Homeland Security really kind of helped make sure the Justice Department did sue Abbott over the buoys and over his policies and kind of make it more. So I think he's had a little bit of a role in that. And I think you know Abbott now sees a new enemy on the on the battlefield. Look, the Castros have been around for a long time, but I think Joaquin Castro has, you know, basically you know, introduced him to himself to the crowd and to the fight in a new way. And I think mm -hmm. now he's going to be, you know, you're going to hear a lot more from Joaquin Castro countering Abbott. Funny, you know, after all that happened this week, uh, and uh, the Castros, uh, oh, oh, Joaquin Castro started putting out fundraising letters off of what Abbott was doing, attacking him yeah. uh, on the show for, again, having attacked him, uh, Abbott on the buoys. <laughs> and so you can see it's all kind of connected to one big, you know, pool. But get used to, you know, and, and, and here's Jesse Waters, you know, come on, there's a difference between, you know, Joaquin Castro and Julian Castro. At least get oh, a sure. clip of Joaquin Castro saying it. Like that was Julian Castro who was talking, the, the then mayor of San Antonio, who was then uh, the HUD uh, director under Obama. But like they're trying to take a shot at Joaquin, but they don't even give Joaquin a chance to say anything. <laughs> Come on now, <laughs> like know your twins. <laughs> yeah, the uh, and the beat goes on. Um, and here's another one that I've gotten to be uh, just sort of tired of. And you mentioned it this week. Uh, another issue I've gotten tired of is the the constant threat of government shutdown. Because it never seems to happen, but everybody talks about it. And believe me, I don't want it to happen. <laughs> it, that I think it, there would be serious implications for the economy. Uh, but I, I, the reason I say that I'm tired of hearing about it, I think most people get tired of hearing about this, Jeremy. And because it never happens, it's always like the boy who cried wolf. Yeah. Right? There's all this talk, a bunch, bunch of stories about, about the government just being on the brink of shutting down. And there's always a lot of noise and then nothing happens. And so I think people hear it and they think, you know, whatever, it's not going to happen. Um, Chip Roy, a congressman from here in central Texas area down to San Antonio, was very fired up about it. He says that, look, unless the government's going to fund the things that really matter in his estimation, that's things like border security, that, that you know, billions of dollars need to be sent our way. Um, he says, so, you know, so what if they have to shut it down? That they, that they need to in Washington really, you know, consider what their priorities are and get their act together. A complete abandonment of the job and the responsibility of the federal government. 
leaving the state of Texas $10 billion poorer while it tries to do the job the federal government is supposed to do. The American colonists protested because they weren't represented in Parliament. I would suggest right now that uh, the American people, frankly, aren't being well represented in this body. Because this body is letting the executive branch run over them every bit as much as King George III was doing to the colonists in 1776. You think it's hyperbole. Look at our border. Look at our system of justice. Look at our energy economy. Look at our level of spending. A complete abandonment of our job. Usually, when people are not engaged in hyperbole, they shout at the top of their lungs. Oh, wait. It's usually the other way around. <laughs> um, Jeremy, you have him saying that, and then this is another you know, intra-party fight with Republicans. Here you have yes. Senator John Cornyn, as you pointed out to me, Cornyn saying, hey, look, I, it, it's not even that he disagrees with uh, Roy about border security. Cornyn's certainly been somebody who's been, you know, on top of it with border security. But he says everybody who's asking for the government to be shut down, well, they ought to slow their roll. Well, we know shuts down, shutdowns do not benefit anybody. I think there's a lot of, I noticed on social media, there's a lot of anger out there at Washington and people say, yeah, let's shut down the, the government. That's a good thing. It's too big, it's too intrusive, doing things I don't like. But if you think about this a moment, with the shutdown, service members, members of our military, will have to work without pay. Veterans won't get the benefits or services that they have earned. Mortgage and other loan applications will be delayed. Passport processing will grind to a halt. Maybe there's even a risk that Medicare and Social Security payments will not be delivered on time. So shutdowns are a blunt instrument. And I think we've realized that with a shutdown, when the government reopens, the same problem is staring you right in the face. Yeah, and it seems like those in the part of the party that Chip Roy is a part of, that... that that they're more interested in in those hyperbolic statements than actually, you know, wrestling with the real issues. If they shut the government down, Cornyn's right. They'd still have the same exact problems when they came back. Um, and so where you followed this very closely, Jeremy. Where are we really with this? And what what's the real probability of a government shutdown and, and what are the real implications? Well, it's changing fast. You know, it's like yeah. this thing, you know, it's like I, I was like you, you know, when this first was starting to come up, I'm like, look, these guys have cried wolf so many times, it's hard to get kind of riled up about it. And look, yeah. as a former DC reporter, I've been to way too many, you know, stories on, you know, shutdowns that never happened or minor shutdowns that, you know, only affect a small group of people. So like, but take that aside from it. This got a lot more serious. Uh, on Friday, or actually it was Thursday, when you know Speaker Kevin McCarthy basically told the rest of the caucus to f off <laughs> in a meeting. Like he yeah. literally tells them, you know, if you want to remove me as Speaker, you know, f and file it is what he tells them all. You know, in this closed door meeting, and he's like he pushing back at these guys and that goes all straight to the government shutdown stuff you know he was he was they were gonna try to put up a, a bill on the defense spending something people normally you know 
you know, agreed to and easily pass on. But because the votes weren't there, because they were still fighting over all this stuff, some of it what Chip Roy was talking about, he they had to pull the bill back. And then he, that's why he's yelling at these other members. Like they're so wanting to, to craft some sort of budget that can't pass, that goes against the will of the president and the Democrats in the Senate who control the Senate, obviously. Uh, it's like, so, you know, they're, you're throwing kind of, you know, kind of spitting into the wind a little bit, but if, you know, with you know McCarthy's comments on Thursday and his new fight with the hardliner or the far writers in his his party, he's now in a position where, like, I think we get closer and closer to a real shutdown, and that's going to have mm-hmm. really big impact. You know, think Huge. about you know, it's really easy to think, okay, this is you know, this doesn't affect me. Most Americans' lives are going to go on, but think about all those people on those military bases. You know, like I'm from San Antonio. You think about all those kids. You know, kids. They're grown men and women at Lackland uh, or the, up in Fort Cavazos, the, old, uh, the former you know, Fort Hood. You know, there's a lot of people there who live paycheck to paycheck. They will not get their paycheck if the government shuts down and these spending bills don't go through. It's like, what are we asking them to do? The rent is still going to be due on October 1st and November 1st, but their checks won't be coming in. How many of us could actually handle not getting a paycheck, you know, for a couple of weeks? You know, it's like my hunch is a lot of people wouldn't be able to handle that. So I think mm-hmm. the re- the possibility of a shutdown ratcheted up way much more on Thursday. And I think the yeah. threat, you know, I would have at the beginning of the week when Cornyn was talking, I was thinking, you know, maybe there's a 10 or 15% chance of a shutdown. Mm-hmm. I'm now thinking, okay, now we're in that 50 to 60 range. It's like this right. next week is going to be critical. You know, if they can't work out this deal, which includes whether or not Kevin McCarthy is going to remain the speaker, whether or not there's going to be a spending bill, whether or not they're going to live up to this deal they originally struck with Biden. You know, mm-hmm. all of this has got to be solved in like something like what I think there's like nine legislative days left, you know, before the budget shutdown happens. Mm-hmm. That's going to have a broad impact. That's going to like, and again, and I like what you said before, just like the PACs and impeachment trial, this is Republican on Republican blood. Right. This, this is the speaker can't keep his caucus in line. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like McCarthy is sitting there battling, you know, Matt Gates and Chip Roy. He's not mm-hmm. battling Chuck Schumer. It's like his problem right now is within his own party. Just kind of like what we saw with, you know, Dade Phelan versus Dan Patrick about Ken Paxton. Like the Democrats were just, you know, pedestrian <laughs> pedestrians that happened to be going by the scene of the crime, right? They just mm-hmm. had to witness it all, you know, for two solid weeks. Well, maybe, you know, folks will finally take it seriously if it actually happens and they see what the consequences are. I hate that it would have to be that way. Um, but, you know, we saw a version of it. Uh, remember when um, when Senator Cruz years ago was you know doing his it wasn't really a filibuster, but his long speech against Obamacare. You know, we're talking about defunding the government and shutting everything down and uh, eventually had the effect of prolonging prolonging a recession in the United States. Over the, these these big protests, to your point, these protests by lawmakers, protests by people who have power can have consequences. Right. All right. That, that's probably enough show for a Saturday. Yes. You think so? There's a lot of stuff you, to do down at Green Hall on a <laughs> Yes, Saturday there is. Night. I think you've got uh, <laughs> you've got serious business tonight. All right. Um, Evan Scherer, our producer, thank you for working on Saturday, sir. Same to you, Jeremy. You can check out Jeremy's newsletter, of course, uh, on his Twitter page. The link there is at 
Jeremy S. Wallace. It's the twinned P. It's the twinned. It's the pinned tweet. <laughs> it's not even a tweet. I shouldn't say that. It's the pinned post. I guess, <laughs> I guess that's it's, what it is. They're now, calling right? them posts. I say it this way. It's the pinned post on X from Jeremy S. Wallace. Uh, you should be a subscriber at quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.